Yo, 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 this is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is this episode of the Fried Squirms. I don't know where I was going with that, but it's because we're here to get stoned to talk about horror movies. And we've already started on the getting stoned part. So, you know, that happens. This week will be the original Last House on the left. Not to be confused with The Virgin Spring. But before we get into talking about the movie itself, Danny... We got to get high. What is this, Jay, that you have brought for me today? All right. If you are a listener of the show, it should be no surprise that we like to frequent flower. So I stopped by flower on the way over, picked up one of your favorites, if not your favorite strain. So I brought over some Montana silver tip. Sometimes it's also known just simply as silver tip. But besides that, it is a sativa dominant hybrid I love it when you give me just the tip. Yeah, just the tip, you know? Sometimes it leads to more, but for today, <laughs> just the tip. Uh, but it is created by crossing the classic Granddaddy Purple and Super Silver Haze strains. Now, the THC over at Flower, total cannabinoids are about 24%, with your terpenes coming in at about 1.4%. The terpenes that stand out the most over at Flower are the pinene, which comes in at about 0.5%. You've also got the limonene at 0.4%. Some of the linalool is about 0.1%. Myrcene, a little bit less than half of one hundredth of a percent. <laughs> a little bit of humulene, a little bit of karyophyllene. The flavors on this, of course, you're going to get something like an earthy skunk with uh, slight touches of blueberry pine and diesel as you exhale. And the aromas are just as sweet with an earthy pine aroma that is accented by a pungent diesel as the nugs are broken apart. And I know this is one we've had several times. I like it just as well. It's, it's an awesome hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of hybrids from flower, if you listen to our last Patreon episode, then oh, you'll know nice. what I brought already because I still had some left over. This is going to be a J of Orchata. Nice. It is a cross of Jet Fuel Gelato and Mochi Gelato. We, of course, have had gelato on the show before. I think I've had Jet Fuel Gelato. I don't believe I've ever had mochi gelato. I don't think I've ever had mochi. I know I've had jet fuel. Yeah. And that's the thing. I might not have had jet fuel gelato, but I know I've had jet fuel. Yeah. I just, I can't remember if I've had that cross before. I want to say it might have been the Greener Pastures might have had it. Mm. I'm thinking that's probably who had it. That sounds about right. With this, it is going to be more of a earthy vanilla flavor. It, it keeps saying vanilla. I've never really gotten vanilla off it, but I definitely get uh, more of the, the the darker, earthy, almost coffee-ish notes to it. Said so it's a hybrid, a little bit more right down the middle. Often the effects are a bit more of a relaxed but focused, which is great, especially for gaming on, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And a lot of reviews about this, people bring up it making them extra talkative. So, you know, I guess that fits for a podcast. It definitely helps. Can't hurt. THC-wise, it's testing in at about 21%. And Terps, our top is going to be limonene, followed by pinene, and karyophyllene. So all the good shit from those, too. <laughs> Hell yeah. I just want to remind everybody to go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms at the lowest level of a dollar a month. A dollar? A 
dollar. Damn. Buy that for a dollar. I don't think you can get a candy bar these days for a dollar. Fuck no. And if you can, it's tiny because of shrinkflation. Yeah, what's up with that? <sighs> Fuck that noise. You know where it is, isn't shrinkflating right now? <laughs> Fucking dispensaries. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how they could shrinkflate. Because you buy it by weight. Right. That's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> Somebody will find a way and we'll have to deal with it then. But until then, anyway... One dollar a month. I was getting way off track, but I was just thinking about the fact that like flour just dropped their fucking cart prices. That's awesome. Dollar a month, you could be listening to this last week. Patrons get every episode a week early. You get up to that middle tier. You get the Patreon exclusive episodes, which mostly have been our look backs lately. Yeah, they've been uh, We've been going one by one through our old catalog because some of these movies we now haven't seen in wow. six or seven years, and it is very interesting getting eyes on them again. Coming up is a big one. It's a banger. Woo! It's a movie we've returned to many times otherwise, but never in the way where we were going to comment on it again. We will be coming back to Martyrs Ooh. coming up soon. <laughs> Very much looking forward to that, but we got a few episodes to go before we get there. And then at the highest level, access to the Discord, and you could, you know, chat us up. Yeah, hit us up. Say hi. Do all that good shit. Anyway, patreon.com slash fried squirms. And with that, I suppose we should probably get into the guts and bolts of Last House on the Left. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went into the making of this movie? Spoiler free, with warnings at the end. But to get you into it, in case you don't know what Last House on the Left is about, we got our spoiler-free setup for the movie. Two young girls, not super young, two teenagers, teenagers, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. I don't know how old her friend is supposed to be. Go out on the night to, to hit up a concert. Bad things happen. But then the family finds out. And bad things continue to happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. And that's not really spoiling anything. That's just a nice brief setup. Yeah. All right, now we've got a gentleman we've talked about probably more than any other director at this point on the show. And this director, he's also the writer. He's an editor on this. But I'm talking about Wes Craven, of course. And for those who have not kept up with our episodes, I'll go over briefly the ones that we have reviewed. Yeah. So we've talked about The Hills Have Eyes, which we're just coming off the back of our Patreon episode. Right? But we reviewed that way back when. We also did episode 17, which we're not too far from, but A Nightmare on Elm Street. We right. did episode 19, which was Scream. Episode 81 we did with Patrick, where he came on when we talked about The People Under the Stairs. We also talked about The Serpent and the Rainbow on episode 89, and we had Zach on. How did I forget that Serpent and the Rainbow is one of his? Right. We also had Zach on on episode 128 when we talked about Swamp Thing. So we've gone over his filmography pretty well at this point. Is that it so far, though? Yeah, this would be. I, for like, some reason, I felt like there was at least one more in the there, but no, I guess no, that makes sense. I, I looked, and I even yeah. there was a few. I was like, yeah, it's been a while. I guess that makes it. I think I'm thinking of the fact that like we've done the Hills Have Eyes remake and things that were obviously biting off of Scream and exactly, exactly, uh, which makes sense. I mean, really, the modern horror master. 
Without a doubt, at least in our lifetime. Yeah, at least the, the heyday of horror that we grew up with. I would say that some of the masters are definitely changing hands now. Yeah, without a doubt. You, you can definitely feel that. It's being it. passed to the next generation. I think Ari Aster probably has a claim. I think Robert, Robert Eggers yep. has a claim. I would um, agree. I honestly think that just because of the way the business works now, we might be able to say that Blumhouse as a production company has a claim. Absolutely. Rather than just as a director, no, they they definitely have their finger on the pulse of horror right now. So it's uh, you can't argue with that. But uh, this is kind of the master that we grew up with. Yeah, it, talking about our formative years, just for the number of films that we already mentioned, it's like yeah, I remember watching all these growing up, and others that we haven't talked yeah. about yet. Yeah, exactly. There's one waiting in the wings. Just for <laughs> if we we get a very uh, particular guest on I one of these days. I have a feeling I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so our cinematographer on this is Victor Herbitz. The only other film of note from him, he helped on a film called Pamela, Pamela, You Are. All right, music was composed by David Hess. Now, he helped on the, it's like a documentary, but it's called Celluloid Crime of the Century. All right, this was produced by Sean S. Cunningham. That should be a name a lot of people should be familiar with. All right, production companies on this are Sean S. Cunningham Films, The Night Company, and Lobster Enterprises. Distributors on this were Hallmark releasing the help for the 1972 United States theatrical release and American International Pictures, otherwise known by AIP. They helped with the 1976 United States theatrical re-release. It had a release date. August 30th, 1972, here in the United States. Had a budget of about $90,000, and it grossed right at $3.1 million. And the tagline, there are several, but the one I got off this is, to avoid fainting, keep repeating, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, I would... I thought you were going to get there because that's technically the tagline, but I love the poster for Last oh, House on the so Left good ones on because it. it's the weird combination. And I think this would be it's the right the slugs. Yeah. I was about to say, this is like the right time period for this combination to happen where it's kind of the old school taglines that are like a paragraph long that tell a story, mm-hmm. but they're, it's not quite written in the completely old school 30s way that they used to be. A solid point. It's more like the dialogue that would happen over top of Grindhouse trailers. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. And so if you go through, like, the whole poster, it ends up being, it rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. Marie, 17, is dying. Even for her, the worst is yet to come. She lived in... The last house on the left. And then the to avoid feigning, keep repeating. Yeah, no, that's wild, isn't it? I, I like it, though. I mean, that's mm. it's iconic at this point. Mm-hmm. And it does. It, it feels like something you'd see, uh, you know, like walking down Times Square or some shit back in the day. All right, so. Um, I do want to mention, before we yeah, get yeah, into yeah. the cast, that one of the production assistants on this was Steve Miner. Oh, yeah. I am definitely going to bring him up who, of course, went on to be a director himself, <laughs> doing a bunch of horror movies, some that I know we've talked about, including yeah. Lake Placid, but also, like, Wonder Years and some of The Crick. It's wild. He did the pilot episode for The Crick, if I'm not mistaken. It's fucking insane. I know. The, uh, the Dawson's Crick. Yes, yeah, not just any old Crick. He worked with the Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so awesome, man. I actually had that pulled up. 
So Horlock. Yeah, there's a lot of cool shit. I'm definitely going to bring those up here in just a moment. All right, so moving into our cast, Last House on the left, we're going to start off with Sarah Peabody, plays the role of, I don't know if she goes by Maria, Mary, either way. Colin I can't Wood. remember. I, I kept trying to like remember it from yeah. when they say it in the movie, and now I don't remember. I'm leaning towards Mary, but it could be Marie either way. <laughs> she's uh, she's also known for the films Teenage Hitchhikers. She was in the film Legacy of Satan, Massage Parlor Murders, The Filthiest Show in Town, which she was in the commercial segment, and Case of the Full Moon Murders. Right? We have Lucy Grantham, plays the role of Phyllis Stone. She was in the film Loops. And Linda Lovelace meets Miss Jones. There's a couple of uh, pornographic actors and actresses. She's definitely one of them. All right. We've got David Hess. David Hess, I just mentioned him. Yeah, this is his debut. He also plays the role of Krug Stilo. Krug, that should be a little tip off because mm-hmm. that's like the precursor to Kruger. Right. Was it really cool? Oh, shit. I didn't put that together. Yeah. Yeah, well, you actually talked about him because he was in Swamp Thing back on episode 128. Yes, he was. He's also in the films Montana Trap. He was in House on the Edge of the Park, Hitchhike, and Body Count. I did want to bring up a few other things because this is kind of cool. Now, he did the music, of course. He composed a couple of songs for the soundtrack. But way back when, check this out, 1956, he recorded the original version of the Otis Blackwell composition, all shook up under the stage name David Hill. The next Wait, year, what? the song became the number one hit single for Elvis, Elvis Presley. Presley. Yeah. Now, he also composed, this is pretty awesome, Start Moving in My Direction by Sal Minio. Sal Minio was the brother opposite of James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. Okay, yep. All right. Now, he also, this is pretty wild, he also wrote songs, of course, for Elvis throughout the 50s and 60s, which include I Got Stung, Come Along, and Sandcastles. It says, Your Hand, Your Heart, Your Love became a 1960s hit when it was performed by Andy Williams. He also wrote the number six single for Pat Boone, which was Speedy Gonzalez. Yeah, he worked with a number of other people. It was really cool. And then, yeah, of course, he broke out in acting with this film. Fucking definition of white bread. Pat Boone did a song called Speedy Gonzalez. I'm almost afraid to listen to it, but I'm going to have to later. <laughs> I know, that's pretty wild. Yeah, number six single at the time, so. Oof. Yeah, I know, right? All right. So There's no way it's good, right? <laughs> I haven't listened to it. We'll check it out. <laughs> All right, we've got Fred J. Lincoln plays the role of Fred Weasel Podowski, right, another gentleman who was an adult video star. Before that, he was in Case of the Full Noon Murders, Flesh Pot on 42nd Street. He's also a director. He's a writer, producer, likes it mostly of adult films. All right, we've got Jeremy Rain. She plays the role of Sadie. A few things of note from her. She was in the film The Abductors. Preacher Man meets Witterman and The Doctors, which was a television show from 1972 through 1977. You want to hear something really interesting about her? Hmm. We talked about a gentleman who was in the film Jaws. He went on to have a really successful career, both as a director, actor mainly. Uh, Dick Dreyfus. Dick Dreyfus, yeah. So They were married for a bit, right? Yeah, and they have several children together, too, which is really neat. It's like, wow, okay. So there's a little trivia there. All right, we've got Mark Shuffler plays the role of Junior Stillo. A few things of note from him. He was in 30 Days to Die and I Spill Your Guts, part two. We have Richard Towers, but he was credited as Gaylord St. James. 
He plays the role of Dr. John Collingwood. He was in Murder in Mississippi, Cauliflower, Cupids, and Fleshpot on 42nd Street. We've got Eleanor Shaw. She's credited as Cynthia Carr. She played the role of Estelle Collingwood. This is really the only thing of note from her. We've got Marshall Anker plays the role of the sheriff. He was also in the filthy show in town. He was in the court case segment. He was also uncredited in Death Wish, and he was in the film Cookie. We've got Martin Cove plays the role of Deputy Harry. Now, we did talk Wild. about him not too long ago. Uh, True. Yeah, he was in VFW. We talked about that back on episode 243, right? Now, Martin Cove, people are like, how do, what the, he looks familiar. He's like, he should, because if you grew up in the 80s, he's, was it, is it Crease? John Crease? Yeah. For the dojo, Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid. Which Parks means that like, you can go see him on Cobra Kai as well. Yeah, exactly. He's in, he is definitely in Cobra Kai. He's been in a ton of stuff, man. But let's see here. He was also in Death Wish 2000, which is really neat, and First Blood 2, Rambo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's been in a ton of like B-movies, action movies, things of that nature. This is kind of neat. He auditioned for the role of Krug, but he didn't want to play you know, a guy who's a bad guy. Yeah. So he opted for the comedic role of the deputy in this case. And instead, he's like, hey, let me pitch my friend who also happens to be a musician who's dating my sister <laughs> that happened to be David Hess. <laughs> so there you go. That's kind of a neat connection there. Honestly, like, Cove's kind of an imposing-looking guy. He's kind of small next to David Hess. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they said they they put him in a lot of clothing, Hess. That is to make mm. him look like he was bigger than what he was. But they ultimately was like, nah, he's good the way. He is. Yeah. All right. So there's that. All right. I've got a few other people, and that kind of rounds out our cast and crew. We've got Ada Washington. She plays the role of Ada. Who is that? She was the lady who drives the chicken truck. <laughs> right. This is really her only film of note, and the reason being is that she was Sean. Cunningham's family maid and nanny. Okay. Yeah. And last but not least, you've already that's, mentioned. That's kind of neat, but also kind of awkward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Steve Miner. He is one of the hippies taunting the police in this. You've already mentioned that he's a director. He's an actor. He did direct episode 244 of our review of Lake Placid, which is really cool. You've already mentioned a couple other things of note. A uh, few other things I did want to mention about him as far as films and shit like that. He directed Halloween H2O 20 years later, Day of the Dead. You've already mentioned The Wonder Years, Dawson's Creek, uh, Smallville, things like that. So pretty neat gentleman, to say the least. So, uh, yeah, that rounds out our cast and crew. He gave us a brief setup. Should give our listeners some warnings. Warning. Like, this movie is pretty infamous yeah. for... The plot kind of revolving around the fact that the main two gals that you're introduced to at the beginning of this movie get abducted, sexually assaulted, and murdered. Yeah. There's no bones about that. Like, that's kind of the draw of the movie. We mentioned, like, the, I mean, the poster a, yeah. for the film gives away that Mary well, dies. Dying. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't, like... I mean, with our warnings, we tend to spoil things anyway, just to be able to give proper warnings. But like, I mean, if that's Christ, the poster, man, this yeah, almost, I mean, it's fifty years old now. Yeah, the whole gimmick behind this movie is that that shit happens. It's what comes after that, right? Which is going to be more violence and gore and 
blood. All that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'd say that's the big one. There's a decently sized middle section that involves humiliation. Yeah. Torture. Yes. And rape. Yeah. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. There's going to be mention of drug use and some language as well. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else aside from that. Not, not that I can think of. I think that pretty much. Oh, uh, nudity. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if that's uh, your <laughs> kicker, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the rape I'm okay with, but I, I don't, don't want to see, see any boobies. There to be some clothes on. <laughs> All I'm saying. I think that's what we got for that part. We should probably just move on and find out how Last House on the Left made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, last house on the left. We finally got here. Finally got here. I mean, we've talked about doing this a couple times. Yeah. It's never been, like, super high up on the list, but at the same time, we've went through a lot of Wes Craven movies. Yeah. yeah. And it feels good to finally get to his entry point. I agree. Since we didn't start with his entry point. We're not that kind of podcast. <laughs> no. We tend to, you know, spread things out. Mm -hmm. In terms of like filmographies and just the way we, yeah, we do things in general. But this is especially neat coming off of his second effort mm -hmm. or revisiting his second effort. Obviously, we first covered Hills Have Eyes six years ago. Oh, I know. Gosh, it's hard to believe. So, Last House on the Left, first off, uh, before we get too much into our own histories with it. There is a special mention that I want to make of the history of this podcast with it. Yeah. As when I was trying to brainstorm names for the podcast when we decided that we were going to do one, one of them was last podcast on the left <laughs> until I looked it up and You're found like, out somebody fuck. fucking beat it to it, us to it. Yeah. And are one of the bit. most successful fucking podcasts in the world. Yeah. Big time. They are big time. They weren't as big time then. No, but they are definitely on fire now. And it's not like, but that's the thing. It's not like they were small time then. It's just that I had never heard of them yet at that point. It wasn't like, there wasn't like fucking what I consider to be normal people, not us who dig deep into this shit, fucking listening to their shit. But of course they do cover like true crime and all sorts of shit. Right. Theirs isn't necessarily movie focused like ours is yeah which pisses me off to this day that they took like the best fucking name for a horror movie podcast and don't focus on only movies with it i know but hey they were smart about it though it's like that is it is a perfect name perfect name almost our name if they hadn't beat us like, uh, i know <laughs> but you know kudos kudos because i was just sitting around at work one day being like Oh, what about this? Oh, what about this? Oh, last podcast on the left yeah, sounds perfect. fucking perfect. Especially because, like, like we said, Craven. Dude, yeah. Hello. Omnipresent in horror for our lifetime. 100%. It made so much sense. Nope. Nope. And you can't, like, adjust the name of Scream because then it just becomes podcast. <laughs> no right if i i hadn't seen people under the stairs or else we might have been the podcast under the stairs right but but even then it's like it's has somebody top. taken the podcast under the stairs i'm gonna have to look that up i don't know later. it's it's not a bad one the last podcast on the left has a certain ring to it you know it, it really does it rolls right off the tongue the hills have podcasts <laughs> <laughs> 
the podcast have hills. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Anyway, so to this day, every once in a while, I'll see their their fucking podcast pop up, and I'll be like, "But we were so close. Uh, we were right there." It's all about timing. Oh well, it's okay. Anyway, personal histories with it. I've seen it before. Likewise, I think I watched it. I don't remember if I watched it at college, but I watched it in that time, like that year and a half that yeah. I was going to college. I remember that I watched it then. Ooh, when did the remake come out? You know, that's a good question. I want to say it was like the early 20-teens, maybe even late 2000s. It wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't released till 2009. I definitely saw it before the remake came out. I might. The last time I pro- watched it was, I think I re-watched it right before that so that I could yeah. sort of compare them. Okay. But I don't think I've seen it since. Yeah, I'm going to probably sound like a broken record for those who've (laughs) listened to us. But I remember picking up a copy of this film on DVD, man, way back when Best Buy were just releasing a lot of horror films, you know, from different distributors and whatnot. So I'll watch this early 2000s, probably like 2002, I would think 2003, maybe at the latest. Mm-hmm. But I've only seen it maybe once or twice in that span. Like I watched it with a buddy and then I maybe watched it once or twice outside of that. And yeah, not until recently. I, I haven't even seen the remake. I own, I've owned the remake probably for as long as we've done the podcast. I think I've only seen the remake like the one time I rented it at once it came out on video. I know I didn't see it in the theaters. Yeah. I mean, I've heard several things about it, especially I know we'll talk about the, Specific scenes in this film, but mm-hmm. I've heard it's pretty brutal, especially the, you know, rape scenes and mm-hmm. stuff, so. I mean, that's the thing about this movie, though. Like, I wouldn't, I knew that we had both seen it. I knew that we were both going to say we haven't seen it much, because it's a good movie, but it's not that right. enjoyable to get through. <laughs> no, it's not one I'm like, ooh, I'm looking forward to this and that, because it's like, no, it's that's not the point, uh, really, of this film, to begin with. No, it's supposed to be shocking, it's supposed to be just terrible and violent. Yeah, it's supposed to turn you away from violence in general. It shows you what people are capable of doing when faced with violent things. Or, mm-hmm. You know, it's like you be, you can become the same thing that you're, you know, opposed against or whatnot. It's both like what people are capable of, kind of realistically. Right. Which is, and then like what that can spur other people to do. I was going to say yeah. it's it's interesting because we didn't really choose it in this sense, but thematically for Craven, his first two films are dealing with that subject matter. Like right. Having the audience face the reality of violence and, you know, as opposed to what he said about this film in general and like what it was kind of like counter to how, and this is for me, it's not a knock. This is coming from him, but he said, you know, there's, Western films that kind of glamorize the violence where, you know, somebody, the hero shoots the bad guy and that's that. And he's held or she's held or whomever's Mm -hmm. held in high esteem. And so you're kind of glamorizing the violence and you're not really dealing with the the reality of it. I think the, the genre that shows that difference the most of hero worship versus reality is actually like, 40s and 50s American Westerns versus 60s and 70s Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah. He was talking about mostly about uh, Clint Eastwood's, you know, no-name hero and stuff like that. So those were some of the things he was drawing comparisons to. And he was also, you know, you got to think about this. 
he was of the generation when Vietnam was going on. And, you know, this is in the midst of kind of the aftermath as well. Soldiers mm-hmm. coming home and the sentiment of the public, you know. That, yeah, and sort of the the culturally questioning, are we the good guys still? Right, because on top of it, too, you're getting to, I think at that time period, you're finally getting to see, like, what war looks like mm-hmm. while it's happening, you know, as opposed to, <laughs> the, you know, well after the, the fact, and it could be more doctored if you want. Mm-hmm. And things that you're finding out during the time being a lot more propaganda-based. Yeah. So, you know, there's certain sentiments that were floating around. And being that craven, too, and we've talked about this. I know you brought it up as well. So he grew up in a fundamentalist household. So he was really going against the grain, not only, you know, from <laughs> growing up very conservative to now he's making films and having a, a social critique of the, the current times mm-hmm. and— putting art out there that's making you face the reality of violence. He's like, now that's where it got to, but I think it's also pretty famous about this movie that it was originally intended to be overtly pornographic. Yeah. 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 Guess what? I don't really want to see that movie. I don't want to see this movie as an overtly pornographic movie. No. And I kind of get the idea behind it because he was intentionally trying to lean into the shock, Absolutely. the horror, but man, I'm good. I know. You know, it's, it, it starts to make me think a little bit of, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare the two. It's just, I think it, during the time period is what Stuart Gordon was doing stuff that was a little bit more, I guess, gonzo, you could say, mm-hmm. you know, where this has a little bit of that. I mean, it's very transgressive, especially for that time period. So I think that's the difference. And they talked about a little I bit. I mean, this goes harder than... Hills. Oh, without a doubt, dude. Without a doubt. And we've already talked about it. it. You know, this is a little bit of a spoiler for those who didn't listen to it uh, on the Patreon, but he didn't want to really do another film like this when he did The Hills. He wanted to yeah. do something different. And I won't say he got pigeonholed, but the idea and the thing, the way everything lined up with the budget, and he's like, he, how can you not? He got, like, coming off a $90,000 budget with this to, like, what, 200 plus, I think, with... The hills, so I mean that's quite significant difference. Feels weird that this was ninety thousand. Yeah, if you would have told well, me he did it for fifteen, uh, I'd believe you. Here's the interesting thing about that because I wanted to bring this up too, and you're right. This strain is making me talkative. But <laughs> <laughs> Sean Cunningham, he did a, I think it was a film called I almost say think, but it was either a short or a film in general called Together, where Craven helped edit on that, right? And because of the success, actually, it was like a moderate success, one of the distributors was interested in making a horror film, you know? And so, you know, the, uh, Craven wrote the script, which you talked about was going to be a little bit more on the hardcore pornographic side. And the working title of it was called Night of Vengeance. Okay. Okay. Look, Night of Vengeance is a great grindhouse title. Yes. And if... if they would have gone through with probably the original idea would have made total sense. Mm-hmm. Right. As it is, this is already a very grindhouse movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't think people talk about that as too much <laughs> Man, because yeah. it gets overshadowed by the fact that this is the first of Wes Craven, the studio's darling in some way career. <sighs> I know. That's funny. Thinking like what happened with the new line cinema and all that. Mm-hmm. 
the house of Kruger Bill, basically. But yeah, before that, here you go with, with him. So Cunningham did together. One of the distributors, like I said, wanted to give him a little bit of money so they could make another film. Craven's like, and even Cunningham were like, we thought maybe $50,000 and we were just going to make it for like 40 and then pocket 10, <laughs> split it. <laughs> he said, then they gave us 90. We're like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, but 1972, $90,000, even now, it's not a bad, bad chunk of money, no. dude. I mean, for an independent kind of guerrilla style shooting i mean hell that's not bad at all now yeah and that's the thing like some of the things you would use to shoot a film with back then were more expensive than they became later absolutely so that does make sense to an extent i don't know what exactly the <laughs> inflation slash exchange rate between 1970 and other years would be right. but if somebody told me that like 70 or what did you say 90,000 yeah 90,000 yeah. of a movie budget where that's what you're spending money on is movie shit was equivalent to like 30,000 10 years later I would believe it because just because that's the way that like technology advances and shit yeah that makes sense I mean the fucking camera in my phone is better than what they were using you know what I mean no you you do have to put those things in perspective you're right it's in terms of technology yeah so I don't I don't know where advances are made or whatnot, but it can make sense that this costs 90000 <laughs> Yeah. It's a little bit hard to make sense because it doesn't... It doesn't necessarily feel like a $90,000 budget. But Especially because what? They shot this in seven days? It's not like it was an extended oh, shooting schedule either. That's wild. I, I know from what I understand is they did initial shooting in New York. Oh, did they have to do pickups later? No, well, I think the way oh. they, they just shot it in general is like mm. because they're uh, Craven and Cunningham were living in New York, and I think most of the actors and actresses were from New York as well because that's where the casting call was done mm -hmm. was in Manhattan. So yeah, they did some of those those you know sequences in Manhattan first. Then they went to Connecticut, which I believe that's where Cunningham is from, because they shot like the house and stuff. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was like some some of the stuff near his parents. In the oh, lake and yeah. shit like that, too. I guess the seven days refers to the time that they were in New York City. I don't know how long that they shot in Connecticut. Yeah, I couldn't tell you, like, the entire shooting scale. I'm not yeah. really sure. I mean, most films in general are only, like, what, a month? I mean, like, yeah. so, but with this, probably not much longer, if at all. If, I could even see, like, that, three weeks. Yeah. Just under. That would make sense. That would make that would sense. Make a lot more sense. First week in New York, everything else out in Connecticut. Exactly. So, uh, as far as I know, that's how that happened. But, um, yeah, no, it's just kind of interesting thinking about, <laughs> like I said, how this kind of got off the ground. But being that this was the first film that Craven did, he also mentioned the fact, like, he didn't know what the shit he was doing. Cunningham, yeah. not really either. They were just you kind know of, what? To an extent, yeah, it shows. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Because it still lends its hand to some of the the rawness, I guess, if you want to call mm -hmm. it that, you know, a little bit of the visceral reactions that they're giving you. For instance, too, is like the actress played Mary or Marie, whatever. A lot of her reactions are authentic because the bad guys, if you will, especially uh, has... He would actually fuck with her. Right, because he was in character. Like, he was a method actor, so he mm -hmm. stayed in character and he wanted to fuck with her. And 
he said, you know, he knew that she was from like an upper middle class family and she had a very Protestant background. And what he was trying to do is not really go at her, but he said more or less like stab at her fundamental kind of background, Mm -hmm. like more or less take jabs at that. So that way she can come up out of it. The different quotes I've read from her about it and from him about it, <laughs> like that shit wouldn't fly these days. Oh, I'm not saying no this way. dude needs to be like me too or anything no, like that, no, but no. like at the same time, he was absolutely actually no. Like, he being makes a f- he makes no bones about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, even in like the documentaries of the shorts and stuff I watched about this, he talks about it. He's like he was grabbing her and mm-hmm. doing all those other stuff. It's like said because he was trying to get her. To kind of come out of her shell. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that. No. But that's, this is what happened. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. I've seen where she says that she, first off, most of the actors don't kind of shy away from the fact that they were in this movie. Yeah. In different interviews and stuff. It's Yeah, it is interesting for sure. Uh, none of them really like talking about it, it seems like. But... Some of the things I've seen that she said sort of indicate that one of the reasons that she just felt like she had a bad performance. Yeah. And it didn't help, too. I think she was coming out of, like, she was doing, American Playhouse or know, some shit. on PBS. Yeah. Where shit was, like, super controlled, super scripted. Precisely. This was gorilla. Like, Literally gorilla. They were getting right, kicked out of places a lot. for not having permits to film. Right. So, I mean, it really was just kind of... You know, rolling the dice a lot of the times. And so, like, I, what I saw that she said was that, like, she couldn't separate it. Emotionally, yeah. Emotionally. So, like, her emotions are authentic, which adds to the realism of this movie. But a good performance isn't necessarily authentic. Right. That makes sense. A good performance is selling all of the emotions so that the audience can understand it rather than just being... Being, you know, uh, captured by them. Yeah, precisely, precisely. But, you know, you got to think, too. I'm not trying to, like, go to bat, but it's like, it's understandable, especially if you're young and you're not used to that kind of stuff. You're going to be a little fragile. David Hess is fucking with you. Yeah. It's like, who the fuck is this guy? Who are these people? They're going to be a little scary. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, they made no bones about the fact that, like, they were, for example, anybody can read this, but... Watching this interview, the guy said it himself, but the guy played Junior. He said there was a scene. He's like, you can see it in the film where they're in the woods and they're over this like little ledge. And he said that Wes Craven couldn't get a certain reaction out of her in that scene. And that dude, Mark, was like, give me two minutes with her. And he said what he did was he grabbed her and put her head over the ledge. And he's like, if you don't hit your marks, I'm going to toss you off here, and they're going to film it, and we're going to get you on film, and we're going to put it out, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he said, as soon as they went back, she nailed it. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, they put that poor girl probably through hell. Yeah, which only doubly sucks, because it sounds like everybody else on set ended up probably getting along a, famously. Yeah, because there's a lot of connections. Uh, for example, the guy who played Weasel, Fred Weasel, he... And the, the actors played Sadie. They were friends, right? He said he was hooking up with Lucy, the girl who played Phyllis, mm. and one of the makeup gals that was on set. <laughs> so they already had, like, little connections there. I already mentioned Martin Cove and David Hess were friends. Yeah. You know, Cunningham and Minor and Craven are all friends. So there was already some connections there with other people, you know, and then you kind of bring a little bit of an outsider in. 
who's a little bit more fragile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little different. You're out in the woods with your friends just trying to figure out how to shoot a movie. Yeah. It's going to be stressful. That's going to be a fun shit time, too. Yes, there's going to be a lot of that, a lot of mixed emotions, a lot of, you know, we, we've acted, but not to this extent, of course. No. And we know what it's like to, you know, have fun and cut up, but also be able to, you know, do what we have to do. At the same time, it's like, yeah, you can be goofy, but there's times where you just need to, boom, do it, get out. And I mean, it wasn't with you, but like, yeah. if it ever ends up seeing the light <laughs> of day, I've filmed a gunfight in the middle of the woods. Like, being so, out yeah, in the middle dude. of the woods trying to figure out how to do something with your fucking friends while filming it is a fucking great time. Yeah, exactly, man. I had an amazing time, and I was even fucking laid up with, like, my knee being all busted up and my yeah. fucking back and shit. But you did it. And yeah. Yeah, so you you, you kind of get the idea of, like I said, yeah, what it's like to go out there and, and do it, just to fucking do it. Yeah, and you never know what comes out of it either. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that even though it's the one before, this might be a better's hard to say, definitely more engaging movie than The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, yeah, I feel like. But The Hills Have Eyes is far more even and even. Like ten times, like more rewatchable. I would agree. I would not just because of subject matter. No, I think just you can feel like his uh, progression Mm -hmm. going from this, like I said, where it feels very independent. Like I said, they were guerrilla shooting essentially, and it shows. I'm not saying that's a detriment. It's just it shows. Right. Whereas the hills have eyes feels yeah feels more of you still feel. At least I do. It still feels raw, but it feels more cinematic. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and just, I keep saying it, but it feels more even. This is yeah. very uneven and not necessarily in a immature way. Uh, and I don't mean that like he's no, making dick like, jokes, but I mean like this is his first film. He has right. not matured as a filmmaker yet. I was going to say too, it helps to know that he didn't go to film school and all that other shit. He just was like, yeah, I just went for it, basically. I don't think, I mean... Based on what we've said about tens, if not scores of movies by now, neither of us are opposed to comedy being in a horror movie, not not. even a fucked up horror movie, not opposed to dark humor, not opposed to like super clashing tonal shifts. Otherwise, we would probably both hate Mike, which is not the point. Right. No. (laughs) Which is not the case whatsoever. No. It's quite the opposite. However, like... That happens in this movie, and it's not well executed. The no, cops feel no. like they're in a completely different movie. Yeah, no, it does. It does. It feels a little disjointed, maybe a little bit. I like it. No, I, yeah, I mean, I get what he's trying to do. But it's not the masterful fusion that we see from other uh, directors that do this often, and it's definitely not as smooth as we see Craven do later in his career. Precisely. That's like because at this point, he hasn't even, he's first film. He's figuring shit out. I love their shit, but like the fucking cops are the biggest detriment to this film. Dude, I told you before we even got into this, it's like, man, there's something about this film that's frustrates the shit out of me. And it is these cops because they are They're funny. Yes. I love these little bits. They're they're good. Yeah, the bits are good, but I'm like, they're so out of place and it just frustrates you because mm-hmm. there's like these fucking idiots. Different, it's a different movie. It is. They are yeah. It, it, they are in two different movies, which is you know. It's weird that they stick out so much because 
the killer group. What do we? I, I want to refer to them as a family, but really only Krug and Junior are family. Right. They're just criminals. I mean, yeah, they are funny. They're darkly comedic. They and they're they very well done. I would say that like we see the scene of just them together before they have victims. Absolutely. It's kind of charming. They are set up in the intro to that scene, so you know how bad of people they all are. So you don't mind that they're kind of shitheads to each other. But they're kind of funny. Right, right. And the thing that I think this movie does masterfully, which really, you know, is the type of marriage that can help Wes Craven have the career that he has now, is that, like, they don't change once they have victims. They're still acting the same way. Exactly. They can just now go further because it's not people that they're going to interact with all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. They're, <clears throat> those people at that point are disposable, the people mm-hmm. they bring in. And I think that's where, like, that's the genius part, is where you have this group who are doing these things that are kind of funny when they're just fucking around with each other and just, like, sniping at each other right. and hanging out in a fucking derelict house and shit. But as soon as you throw an innocent in there, all of that funny now becomes menacing. Oh, without a doubt. You know, it in a interesting way, it reminds me a little bit of, of House of a Thousand Corpses in that sense. Like, they're always throwing barbs at each other because they're a family, and that's kind of what you do with your friends and stuff like that. But, yeah, once you bring somebody from the outside in, it's like, oh, now you really get to see what they can do, what they're really capable of. Well, I love that you brought up House of a Thousand Corpses because in my notes— I didn't actually write that down, but what I wrote down was we often compare House of a Thousand Corpses to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 because... Oh, I mean, for obvious reasons. Fucking watch them both back to back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> duh. I mean, it doesn't hurt that, you know, uh, Bill's in it too, so there's that. This movie feels like it might have been a very heavy inspiration for Devil's Rejects. I can definitely see that. 100%. Especially once they're fucking with the girls. And you, then you start thinking about, like, the hotel room. Right. Exactly. And just, like, the filming out in the woods and the running and shit. And, and the, surprise the overall way that uh, Zombie makes that entire movie feel. Yeah. I'd say it wouldn't surprise me one bit that if this was an inspiration or at least an influence. Uh, it's a revenge story. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, may- Maybe. With the killer family getting their comeuppance in the end? You know, what's interesting, too, is we've already mentioned the fact that Craven was paying a little bit of an homage to to Hooper. Mm -hmm. Toby, that is, Toby Hooper. And the Hills of Eyes with that family, the cannibal family. Right. By using, you know, some of the stuff off the set and just trying to decorate a little bit like the Sawyer family. So it would only make sense that they would... There's interconnected strands. Right, that's what I'm saying. They would probably, like, show their little nods to each other here and there throughout certain films or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then because zombies influenced by this time period, it would just make kind of sense. in general. <laughs> probably just inadvertently probably picked up some shit that he was not aware that may have been influenced from Craven that Hooper used or whatever, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Or knowingly, I guess I've never really went too deep. I've went way he, deeper he on like House of a Thousand Corpses shit than Devil's Reject shit. He, <laughs> we know. If you're a fan, you know how much he loves horror. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, not one bit. Man, the start of this flick is kind of awkward, though. Yeah, it's just kind of... 
Oh yeah, he, I mean, it opens up in the shower scene. And you have the well, you have the postman. Yeah, he's talking about. Oh man, he makes that comment too. Finest piece he's ever seen. Yeah, prettiest piece I've ever seen. He's like, damn, dude. She's not even 17 yet, bro. Chill. I was about to say, like, the actress is of age. Right. But, but in this opening scene, when we're admiring how pretty she is topless, she's the 16. character is supposed to be 16 turning 17 the right. next day. Right. And it's like, even and, back then, that's not cool. And even, like, let's say... Let's say you're weirdly puritanical going into this movie. And like you see that flash of boobies up on screen and you're closing your eyes and you're like, okay, she's dressed now and talking to her parents. And the first three minutes of them talking is commenting on the fact that nipples, you can see her nipples through her shirt. Right. And And you're like, like, wow, the fuck is this? You're right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's just kind of maybe that, that attitude, like the, the free love and, well, there's the free love thing because like hippies are kind of like a recurring thing in this in a weird way. Yeah, yeah exactly. The um, anti movement. Mm-hmm. But the awkwardness kind of continues on into when she's like hanging out with her friend. <laughs> yep. That whole section before they actually like go try to score some grass might be. I'm trying to think how to word this is maybe one of the more prime examples of like, this is a dude writing women who has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Fucking women in our audience get at me, but like the, the whole like, well, it's, it's so crazy how I changed since last year. Well, how did you change? Well, my breasts filled out. I mean, did they? I don't know. She's like, I didn't know you last year. I was like, well, yes, they did. And I've never felt like more of a woman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't ever recall my sisters ever having a conversation. But, I, you know, I'm like not sitting in all my sisters' mm-hmm. conversations with their girlfriends either. So there's that. But it seems pretty awkward, though, right? Yeah. It did feel a little like you were saying uh, somebody writing from a female perspective without being female and not knowing what the fuck he's talking about, really. I wonder what it'd be like to make it with what was the name of the band? It sounded like they oh, were listening like, to some fucking death metal group. <laughs> right, it was like Blood... What was it? Blood something. Was it Bloodlust? No, it wasn't Bloodlust. It was it something was, uh, similar. Anyway, I wonder what it'd be like to make it with fucking Blood Throne or whatever the fuck it was. It would be really soft. <laughs> yeah, like on cotton. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Uh, something feels weird, man. Uh, see, that one is more understandable. That's like... A young fucking teen who doesn't know. Oh, it's like what? Like they're so out of place. Don't know what's happening. Um, what I thought funny too, or maybe it was like because he brought up the facts. Like, didn't they bite off a chicken head or something like that? I was like, I wonder if that's more of like a comment on Black Sabbath, nausea, right? And kind of making that barb because that's not really what they're known for. You know, it's just like a coincidental thing. Either it was a joke that got rewrote or it was never intended to be one. But her response of like, you don't know how many nights I've cried over that chicken. I'm wondering if it was supposed to be kind of like a fucking she's been thinking about their cocks joke. Right. Because that would be right in line. Yeah. Like it was it was worded just closely enough where I'm like, you can turn this into a cock joke. And that would make sense. Especially because then 
three minutes later, she's like, I wonder what it'd be like to make it with them. Right. Like I said, some of that stuff lines up because of what we've already said with the fact that this, at a certain point, was going to be more pornographic. Yeah. So it makes sense you throw in those kind of barbs, those jokes. Now, I will say I was just getting down on this for being so fucking awkward. The way it plays out, I think, even in its awkwardness, even in its corniness, is still overall kind of charming. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it does the job that it's supposed to do. We've ran into these kind of setups in so many horror movies. It's just so that we feel for the girls when they get killed. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to set up a little bit of something to give you something to latch on to these characters, right? Otherwise, yeah, we got to like, be invested somehow. Right. Who, otherwise, who cares? You know, it's like you've got a, a quote-unquote innocent girl. You could tell she's probably a little bit out of her element hanging out with a girl who's from the other side of the tracks, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of set that up. There is something that the character Phyllis says <laughs> to uh, the Collingwoods. Cause she's like, what do your parents oh, do? Iron and steel. Yeah. It's like my mom irons and my dad steals. <laughs> like that's pretty funny. That, I laughed at that. That, that was, was pretty, good. That, that was, was pretty good. funny. But you know, they're also showing you at the same time, like as those two girls are venturing out into the city, you know, to, Go to the concert and shit. Here's the one thing I didn't get, right? So mm-hmm. she's supposed to be from the wrong side of the tracks. They're going to this concert in her hood. Right. She's already delinquent enough that she fucking hid them away a bottle of some liquor. Yes. They go to fucking score some weed, and she's making Mary do it. <laughs> yeah, no, right? It's like, maybe that's one of those things where she's... This is just my little take on it, where, you know... She's going to see how far those little, those little mm. goody two-shoe girls mm-hmm. will go. It's like, is she really legit, you know, like down to smoke weed and all that other shit? Or is she just putting on a front? It kind of sounded like they had smoked together before at some point, though. Possibly. So, you know, who knows? But <laughs> I, at least it gives you something to latch onto, like you said. Yeah. You know? And uh, but what I was going to get is at the same time, too, like, you know, the parents are setting up the birthday, mm-hmm. like stuff for Marie and all that stuff. And then we've already been introduced at this point to the, you know, the family, if you will. <laughs> you know, they're not family, but you know what I'm saying. For lack of a better the, term. I keep wanting to call them the family. They might as well be. I mean, they were kind of set up that way in a sense where you have Krug and his illegitimate son, Junior, the mom, if you will, with Sadie, and then the outside family member with Weasel. Mm-hmm. You could look at it in those terms or, you know, just, I want to even call it a gang, just a, a crew of right criminals, I suppose, whatever. Point being those, they were whenever, trying to score weed. Right? Whenever it was just Krug and Weasel together, to me, it kind of just felt like another version of um, Henry and Otis. Right. It makes sense. But then you add in the others, and I want to start calling them the family. Uh, right, because they, they, you, they feel like that. They mm-hmm. feel like they compromise a, a group of, of people who, I don't know, exhibit those traits you know, of, of a family, if you will. I wish that the humor for the cops was written as well as the dark humor is for the fucking yeah. the crew, the family. They, they feel like just They feel really very bumbling. natural. Yeah, the cops, yeah, are bumbling. The cops might as well be fucking Keystone cops. Right. I mean, it does feel, yeah, more like a sketch comedy kind of mm-hmm. way of, of satirizing cops and shit like that. The authorities, I suppose. Where, yeah, this humor with the group, the family, 
is more on the dark side. It's more like jabs at each other and shit, you know? I wrote down that it's kind of charming. Uh, that's like you the get thing, the sense yeah. that they actually like like being around. There's a reason they're all hanging out. There's they like being around each other. They're close enough that they can fuck with each other, but they also have a hierarchy. Krug fucking rules the roost. Right. So you can fuck around to an extent, but like once he puts his foot down, and then you know to let off, mm-hmm. back off. Yeah. That was all done exceedingly well. I think that's one of the the reasons why this movie is truly as good as it is because yeah. they what, fucking nailed it. I was like, what I like too is because of that that element you were saying is it in a way makes you want to sympathize with those characters because they are relatable. It's like, yeah, we all, when you're, you know, friends with people or you, you're close enough to where you can throw little jabs or make little remarks and shit joke with each other, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like, yeah, who hasn't, who hasn't done that? But then when you see their true nature, like you said, then it's like, Oh, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's when you have to separate that from like, yeah, even though I relate to them on that level, I can't relate to them beyond that. Right. Because then, yeah, then you get to see that nasty reality. It's kind of more, even more interesting than, like, kind of what's to come. What Craven himself sort of adds in to the genre, and, like, most slashers aren't this interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. They're these, you know, faceless fucking, sometimes a face. Like, we got Kruger. Yeah, obviously. Who definitely has a bit of a personality. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you get into, like, the ghost faces, and you get into the Michael Myerses and stuff, and they're imposing, they're scary. But, but they're more like don't, a force. You can't, yeah, they're they're a force. You can't uh, see yourself in them at all. Whereas, like I said, these characters, you kind of can. You can kind of empathize, yeah, sympathize yeah. with them, whatever. And that kind of ties into what we were talking about with, like, Vietnam going on at the time. Are we the baddies? Absolutely, man. That's a good point. And then, obviously, you know, we get into the parents later. We do turn around. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so once those girls do run into uh, Junior, because, you know, he goes out on the stoop or whatever, and at first he blows them off, and he's like, oh, wait, you know, wait a minute. Yeah, I've got an ounce for 20. He said for 20 bucks? yeah. Like, ah, damn, okay. I'm What's interested. inflation? What year is this? 72? He said it was Colombian, too, so, you know. I want to see, I want to see inflation calculator. 50 years ago, 20 bucks. What do you think is worth now? 100 bucks? Let's find out. Yeah, what was 20? If in the year, I'm going to say, let's see, this was released in 72, so, so I'm going to say 71. Yeah. How much did it say? $20? 20 bucks. Little man. If I purchased an item in 1971 for 20 bucks, then in 2022, that same item would cost $144.52. damn. So 20 bucks was like carrying around almost 150 bucks. Yeah. That is nuts. If you, I mean, of course, if you count for inflation and all that, the spending power that is. Mm-hmm. You know, because now 20 bucks is like in the wind. Right, most in most cases, I sadly like spent twenty bucks just grabbing like very bare, fucking food items earlier. I just, yeah, dude, I remember. Okay, that's a whole different tangent, but yeah, twenty bucks meant a whole lot different when I was a kid <laughs> compared to now. Because like, the fuck. All right, so one hundred and forty-four dollar ounce. That's about. 
what we're paying now. <laughs> that so. ain't bad. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Okay. You know, when you put it in those terms, it's like, yeah, it's about what we're paying now, sometimes more. What I think is wild is going to a concert and buying an ounce right before. God damn. I know. Like you were down to smoke a pound. Damn. <laughs> an ounce. That's a lot of weed to be carrying on you. Yeah. Like, all right. Yeah. I hate to be caught with that. He's like, oh, it's only $20 worth. Shit. You mean 144 in 2022? <laughs> like, fucking, that's enough weed to fucking get several people high. I was going to say, I, I was going to say to fucking fill both their pockets, but fucking chick pants never have good pockets. So, like, I don't know. Fucking stuff they bras with when she was talking about how her mom used to do the fucking torpedo tip <laughs> shit. All right. <laughs> like, we're about to bring that back right now. <laughs> yeah. You can put your weed in there. Yeah. So they, they found out real quick, like, once they get inside and they, uh, they notice the rest of the group. Yeah, it goes to shit real quick. And uh, from that point on, man, it's just uh, it's a downhill ride, really. I'll say we probably don't need to categorize like categorize everything that happens, no. but there's like there's shit that happens in between there because they're still talking and fun, fun, quote unquote shit, fun shit. Yeah, the next morning when they're fucking leaving is amazing, dude. Just the way he's like, we're just gonna put them in the back of the car. We're gonna put them in the back, coming okay. down the fire escape. So that fire escape brought back some some interesting memories. <laughs> she looks sketchy as fuck. Have you first off? Have you ever went down one of those counterweighted escapes like those? Yeah, it's been a hunt where there, it goes yeah. down as the you put weight on it. Absolutely, yeah. It's <laughs> really sketchy as fuck. Have you ever moved furniture down one no, of those? No, no, no. Thank God. Have you ever moved a sofa down one of those in winter? No, I can't. I have no. This guy has <laughs> no. Jesus, that must have been a bitch. Helped uh, some friends move out of their place in Dillon once when I was going to college down there. They lived uh, in an apartment above, I think it was like one of the businesses downtown. I can't remember what was below them. Some of the only places in, you know, Dillon that were more than one story. Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's Montana. Dillon. Yeah. But the sofa that they were trying to move out was built in the room it was in. It was never moved into the room. It was custom. So when they tried to get it out, they found out that they had literally no chance of getting it through the normal door. Just dimensions-wise. No way. Like, it wasn't just, like, take the fucking door jam out. It was like you would have to remove a little bit of the fucking wall, too. Wow. To get enough room to get it out the normal door. It fit out the emergency exit. <laughs> You're like, all right. So me and my roommate got conned into fucking helping them with promise of a good dinner, which was an amazing dinner, actually. Right. But still once we finally got to it, I don't know how he didn't die. First off, I will say that I I was not the low man on that. He was the one going first. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> God. So I did have to keep it from, like, falling and squishing him on the way right. down. But, <laughs> but you weren't the one, like... <laughs> at one point, he literally had his leg... Like, he was basically sitting on the rail as we were first getting it out and swinging it around and had his legs just, like, wrapped around the fucking metal so that he could <laughs> oh lean God. back over with it. I know you're saying just to support it and jet. Man, no fucking way, dude. 
And then we went down one of those fire escapes. Where it gradually went down as we went down. Yeah, no, that's scary. That's sketchy, dude. Uh -uh. Mm -mm. I've been like, nah, I think I'm good. And there was a definite, there wasn't a lot on it. But still. But there was definitely a little bit of ice on it. God damn, dude. That would have been scary. We got an amazing fucking venison dinner out of it. Yeah, it's like... I, <laughs> I, you did what you had to do, you know? Don't Good friends. <laughs> still, Jesus. Well, I, that all gets really interesting, but... Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying, but still, it, it brings back memories. Mm-hmm. But point being, is like, yeah, no, they're, they're taking the girls down from the fucking fire escape, putting them back in that convertible. The it, convertible scene is one of my favorite fucking things in this movie, I think. Yeah. Because it's so fucking wild. Like, they're doing it, right? Oh, yeah, she's definitely riding them. She's riding them. Uh, Weasel's just next to them, asking how to get into the sex crime business. Yeah, it's like, what, excuse me? It's already been reported on the radio that Weasel had been in prison for rape. Yes. And it sounds like... So he has committed sex crimes. I was going to say not only that, but it sounds like some... uh, Child pornography, perhaps, mm-hmm. too. Like, some, some of that shit going on with and him. He, and he's wondering how to make money off of it and how to do it in a way that they get remembered because <sighs> he's saying something about, like, that's the only crime they never forgive you for or something like that. Yeah, I'm like, wow. Okay, dude. <laughs> but I'm like, bro, you're you're in the sex crime business. That's what you do. Yeah. You it's do like you're, sex crimes. You're already in it. <laughs> what are you talking about? He just wants to legitimize it. Yeah. That's all he's looking to get. All while that's going on, the wildest song ever is fucking playing. Oh, in the background? Yeah. The song that is spelling out exactly what's about to happen. Yeah. And the thing, too, it's the fact that Krug, David Hess, is the guy who fucking wrote the song. So (laughs) is this shit playing? Not going to lie, like... That is something that I think helps going into a viewing of this movie knowing is that Krug does most of the songs in the movie. All of the songs? All of them. I think that little bit of weird meta knowledge actually makes the movie slightly more sinister overall. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's It, it drives it almost into, well, like when we talk about folk horror, how most of the time in folk horror movies your protagonist never stands, has never stood a chance. As soon as the movie started, they're in a situation that they can't get out of. They're a sacrifice, they're a whatever. Precisely. Knowing that it's his music suffusing this entire movie gives it a little bit of that same feeling. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, knowing, he likes it knowing that. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh man, that is, that's an extra layer of creepy. And, you know, not the intent. No, the intent, of course you know, not, it's just right. like, no, we know this guy that can pull double duty and we're barely know how to make a movie as it is. But no, it, it's still you're right. If you think about it from a, like a more of like a, a cinematic mm-hmm. approach, it's like, yeah, no, that does add a layer of that menacing flavor to it. I, I mean, try like to keep it in mind my second yeah, view no, this really morning cool. and it I truly think it enhanced like the feeling that, of the movie. For the meta-ness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That's this dude's song. It's like. That's yes. that fucking verse made me laugh so fucking hard because it was just like, now what are they gonna do? They're going off in the woods and they're gonna have fun with these two girls and right. then kill them after. I mean, you're right. They basically spell it out because that's 
what they're doing. Now, the fucked up part, remember watching the very first time watching this film, the way it made me feel, and the reason why I probably still have this sentiment towards those cops, is the parents called in, you know, after their daughter Marie or whatever. She doesn't come back and doesn't notify them. And then those cops finally come out, you know, get a statement from the parents. And as they leave, they notice the fucking broken down car, but Mm -hmm. they're very dismissive of it and just drive off while everything's happening literally across the street. And I remember the first time I watched them, like, oh, that's such a gut-wrenching feeling that you're right there at your house, but you're being led to your death. Mm-hmm. And there's not a fucking thing you can do about it. So one thing that bugged me is that when she saw how close she was, that she didn't make any right, an attempt effort, to break free. An effort, yeah. Because That's what I'm saying. That's, it's a very frustrating feeling because it's like, oh, you're literally right there. Like, they don't show the outside of the house like in reference to where the driveway actually starts. That's a good point. But you have to imagine that she's at most 200 yards from her house at that point. Within screaming distance, at least. You know, you make And with the cops already there, you get 100, within 100 yards yelling enough, you're safe. Yes, I would think so. Just make an effort, at least. Shit, yeah, I mean... Or extend it out another minute. Like, if you make them have to catch you for a minute then the cops are coming up the driveway. Essentially. So, I mean, but of course, because it's a movie, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, yeah, this of is... course, if she does that, there's no movie. But... Right, right, but I mean, but just, you know, just in like the realness of a situation, you know, like, oh, there's just so many fucking coincidences happening all simultaneously. It's like, ah, uh, that's what I'm saying. But that's the whole point. That's the whole point, too. So for that, That adds kudos. to the, the tragicness of it, really. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's, I don't think there's any better way to describe that. It's like, yeah, this is, Ugh, gut-wrenching, tragic. There's one Uh, other part, though, with the fact that this basically happens in Mary's backyard that ended up frustrating me a little bit later, and it's when, uh, fucking, what's her name? Her friend. Phyllis. When Phyllis breaks free, and she's like, yo, I'm going to make a run for it. Like, once I have them on my fucking tail, you got to get out of here. Like, Phyllis knew that she was going to be able to get at least a, like, 100-yard fucking oh yeah uh, you would hope like lead on them which she obviously like she got away for a good good bit i would say for a few minutes at least like how does this change if she adds in nod which direction i should run to go towards your house Ugh. it's like you would think the five the, more seconds it's like, like just nod in the direction i, I should run this was it you would think mary being that it's literally right across the street from her home, that she's probably been in those woods who knows how many times mm-hmm. because there's a fucking lake right there. <laughs> Dude, yeah. If if I live out in the woods with a lake that close to my house, I'm at that lake all the time. Yes. I mean, even if you're just out there to just to fucking reflect or whatever, just hang out. Especially in the 70s because I ain't got yeah. my fucking smartphone and all that shit. No, like, of course not. You're going to be out walking, doing shit, whatever. So you would think she would have a better sense of direction, like you said, like... You might want to go that way. <laughs> you know? Or like, you break that way, I'll go this way. Even like when she split and I'm that close to my house and dude's strung out on heroin. I ain't trying to make friends with him. No. I'm probably thinking about knocking him out or, you know, doing and running something the 50 to fuck foot him up. to my fucking back window. Oh, come on, man. Yeah. It's like game over, movie over, and credits. Once again, yeah, the movie's <laughs> over if this happens, yeah, right. but at the same time, right. it's so frustrating. I know. Like, you are <clears throat> right there. But once again, that's why it's like that suspenseful, dreadful, 
you know, that, that anticipation of like, oh, you're, you're right there, you know, but that's what makes a good film a good film in that, in the cinematic sense. It's like, yeah, no, you got to throw that shit at people. Also like make them feel frustrated. (laughs) Mary also gets there. If she takes a completely different approach with junior to start off with, because starting with, (laughs) I'm going to rename you and call you Willow is fucking weird. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> That's a bad start. Because you're tall and beautiful and you bend in the breeze. The breeze is Krug. Like, why are you getting poetic about this? He's fucking strung out on heroin. Just, like, so, be hey, nice to him for a second and bring up I, that methadone a lot I got sooner. a fix in my bedroom and my house is right there. Right there, yeah. Right. They would never know. We'll get you back. If we go right now, we can come back. And they would never know. know. They would never know. You'll be with me the entire time. Right. Exactly. Not, I'm going to name you Willow. Right. My parents are gone for the weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of shit. That's why I'm in the city. That kind of shit. But, you know, I, I'm, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. I'm not gonna, maybe I'll say it off air, but I ain't going to say it on air. I'll get roasted. Damn. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of those just like, girl. You got to come at him a different way. I know. Well, you know, I was going to say, maybe it's because she's 16, going on 17. She doesn't know any better. Well, I mean, she's still traumatized from what just happened, too. Because right. we skipped over the fact that there was some more humiliation, right? But that Between them showing up and her fucking friend leaving. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're forcing them to do shit. And then it gets worse once. Honestly, it's impressive that the pissing the pants is real. Yeah. Because yeah, there yeah. is that weird thing that, like, I'm sure you, like, because it's one of those weird facts that like gets brought up every now and then and gets you know passed around, especially on the internet where yeah, all the fucking weird facts live. <laughs> like, there's a certain percentage of people that once they've been potty trained, pretty much can't make themselves piss their pants. I can say I haven't pissed my my pants in a long time, but I will say this: I've been on the verge of pissing in shit in my pants several times mm-hmm. as an adult. Just haven't, and it's it's because of oh, I don't know. Determination. <laughs> I, I mean, if I wanted to, I could. Like, if I yeah. just wanted to, yeah, I could. But, but there's a certain percentage of people that can't. can't. Yeah, and, that's and then difference. and then there's a fucking, of course, like a range in between no, where some people try just not like, to. It's hard. Like, <laughs> but like some people, even yeah. if they try to be hard, because it's so against what you're used, like what you do every right, day. Right. Of course, there's a certain um, routine. I guess you develop. Mm-hmm. You know. You have a natural routine. And you're doing it in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. So it's like, ugh. That's another thing. Some people can't piss in Stage front of people. Fright. Stage fright. Yeah. So you're, you're adding both of those factors on, and, like, it's actually kind of impressive that she pissed herself. No, I agree. I agree to, to do it. I won't say on command because I don't know what the, you know, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. there for filming, but to be able to pull it off and it be authentic PP, it's like, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> all and the cool we, kids are doing it. Good commitment. <laughs> no, I mean exactly. You committed to the craft, and there's—I don't think there's any shame in it. Like, so no. she was with her friends, and you know they're filming a fucking movie, man. It's not like they're out there making fun of her, like piss your pants, pee pee pants, you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, no, they weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. The escape attempt happens. They get split up. They get killed separately, basically. Man, I'll tell you something. I think is—I mean, it's yeah, of course it's fake, but I, I thought it was really good, and I forgot about it. Is when. Mary and Junior bump into the gang after they kill Phyllis. Right. How the 
Phyllis's arm slips out. Yeah, that was, the, I was like, oh, that's fucked up. I forgot about that too. It's like, that was oh, like, that was fucked up. That was good. Because <laughs> then it's like that. If it's not real enough for you that Phyllis isn't around, and then seeing her arm lopped off, you're like, oh no, it's game over, bud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're fucked. Like all of the sequences towards with them killing both Phyllis and Marie are honestly pretty well done. They give you the visceral feeling of you seeing more than what you actually do. Agreed. You know what's interesting? Thing I don't know if you read or heard about this or not, was the guy Fred, the guy who played Weasel, mm-hmm. he's the one who choreographed a lot of that. Because oh, he said okay. that Cunningham and Craven and pretty much everybody else said they didn't know what the fuck they were doing with mm. like the motions, like how you would you know, actually authentically wrestle with people or like make stabbing motions and... He even helped with, like, the practical effects. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why he probably has a little bit of a, a bitter feeling about this film in comparison to the rest of the cast because he feels like he wasn't given enough credit for what he was doing. That's a whole different story. But he was responsible for a lot of the choreography on set, which is kind of neat. Mary's death actually gets, like, super fucking arty-farty at the end. It really does. I saw you that you had the painting pulled up. That, that yeah. was kind of cool, but... The Ophelia. Yeah, but I was like, man, that feeling I had the first time watching this, like, you know, she just gets raped. She puts on her clothes and just walks into the water and then fucking do blaster. You're like... <laughs> well, not just uh, that, but, like, she gets raped, and as she's putting her clothes back on, she's praying to herself. Yeah. And I, what I that's find point the yeah. most interesting part of that scene is you have a moment with the family with the killers mm-hmm. and they actually look regretful. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's not regretful in a way where they're like, we're going to change our lives. No, but there's a certain feeling they have about what they're, what they've done and what they're doing. Right. They definitely realize what impact, they're doing is yeah. wrong and it's evil, but, and I mean, like I said, they're not willing to change. No, of but course not. it's also just this weird moment of them having to accept that what they're about to do is like a part of the work. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Even Craven makes mention of that. I think Mm -hmm. most of the cast talk about that too, is there's a shift in those characters because not long after they do kill both the girls, you see them kind of washing themselves and then changing Mm -hmm. into like quote unquote business clothes or whatever. It's almost like they're trying to cleanse themselves of what they just did too, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's a little bit of that, that exchange, you know, but that's a solid point you bring up. I don't know. And once again, it's just like a weird human touch to them. Right. Right. It's like, oh, they're not a force. They're no, humans. they're human. Exactly. And you, <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's interesting, man, to, to think too. It's like, in a way you're humanizing, you know, people who do atrocious. I mean, because they are humans after all, you know, so they're. It's Who knows? humanizing them, but not making excuses. Right, for right, them. right, right. It's not. It's not glamorizing it. It's not doing anything. It's just putting the the human approach to it. Like, just yeah. There's probably going to be a certain way you, somebody feels about a deed or an action, what regardless of what it is, mm-hmm. you know, or an inaction. It's interesting to portray it like that. They get taken in. Yeah, that was pretty wild, wasn't it? Like the family's just like, yeah, we got room. You're like, no big deal, you know, whatever, shack up. And then over the course of the night, your boy gets homesick. Or not homesick, he gets uh, drug sick, he gets heroin sick. He gets fucking dope sick. (laughs) Yeah, and he's retching in the fucking toilet. And uh, the mom gets up, she goes to check on him, and then she notices the necklace that they gave 
Mary, Marie, whatever. And that's like, oh, and then she overhears the conversation once Junior leaves the bedroom or the bathroom, goes back to the bedroom, and she overhears that, you know, her daughter got killed. She checks in the suitcase and finds all the bloody clothes. All right. She gets with her husband, the, the dad, and they go out to the lake. They find Mary. And now here's something interesting about this part. And she's out of the lake at that point. There's an alternate version of that scene, right? right? And I actually watched it. Okay. Um, I haven't seen it. Right. It's kind of corny, but <laughs> she's on, you know, on the on the banks, I guess you want to call that, on the grass, right next to the lake, when the parents find her. And she's describing, like, who killed mm-hmm. her and Phyllis or whatever. And she dies. And then that's, I mean, that's basically it. She's just giving a little bit more expo on what happened. So it's like, ah, was it necessary? Not really, because the mom mm-hmm. already overheard that was enough. There's their daughter. Right. I mean, what more do you want? They basically were just like, all right, our daughter's dead. They bring her back into the home. And then the dad starts booby trapping the house. He's doing some home alone shit. <laughs> you know, what I like too is how Fred, the weasel, he had that nightmare where his teeth were about that to. That was dope. He said that he's, I, how much of this is true? I don't know. He said he's the one that came up with the concept for that. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they, you know, they did that scene and shit, but... Once again, you said cool. we have the tracks being laid with Krug and Kruger. Yeah. Dream. That and the fact, too, that he carved his name... Oh, right, in her, her chest. ...and shit, too, so... I, it's kind of interesting to think about that. Like, there's already fingerprints... Mm-hmm. Or, like, little foundations being laid. It's like, you know, that was good. I'm going to take that. Yeah, it's like, what? I mean, I did a good job with that. It's mine. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'm not uh, John Fogarty yet. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of neat. It's it's neat thinking about that shit. Anywho, yeah. um, So, mom, (laughs) when she goes back in, she seduces Weasel. It's like, basically, she wants to suck his dick. See, now, here's the... We're up to basically the last, like, 12 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. I remembered their revenge being longer. I did, too, to be quite frank. And I think it is longer in the remake. I can't say because but, I haven't yeah. seen it, yeah. We'll have to do the remake at some point. Yeah, I remember be it being pretty good. It's got a good cast. I think it's technically a little bit happier of an ending, but they okay. also go harder up until paint. that point. Like, <laughs> I gotcha. But... I, I guess I remembered it being at least like the last like half hour of the movie. And I, 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 and I remember that. like yeah. pausing at one point to go take a piss and seeing the fucking timestamp and being like, oh shit, like we're not even to the revenge yet. Like yeah. we, we only got 20 minutes left in this bitch. No, like, there was a point too where I was like, okay, there's still like 40 minutes left. We're probably going to get close to quote unquote the revenge part of this film. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It goes by like a blink. Yeah. Like, oh shit, that was that. Okay. I mean, uh, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it, it's not bad. It's not how I remembered no, it. No, it's either. not how I remembered it. Uh, I remembered it taken, being a bit more drawn out. Right. It, it, that was my thoughts as well. And I don't remember having Krug having as much of an upper hand as he does through most of it. Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember that either, but he he definitely does at a point. Because most, <laughs> most of those Home Alone fucking traps didn't mean shit. No, they were just... Temporarily there just for <laughs> his own convenience, I guess. Mm-hmm. I I wonder how much of the shots definitely not done in the same way. I think we would both be commenting on it if it had been done in the same way. 
but those shots of him setting up those things later influenced Raimi's crash zooms. Oh, that's a good point, too. I said, it wouldn't surprise me one bit, man, considering. Once again, though, we know that they're setting up to take revenge, and I don't think it was supposed to be humorous, but him picking up the fucking wrench. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in the fucking basement and, like, swinging it it's around like, the way he is. I was like, bro. Like, no, that's it ain't it. Because I, I don't think this is supposed to be the tone of this scene right now. <laughs> that ain't it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you said that was kind of funny, that cut going into the basement. I don't know what to do. Not like, I think it. this is supposed to be a little bit more serious right now, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mom seducing Weasel. Here's something interesting about that scene, if you want to call it that, is Fred, once again, Weasel, said that they didn't know how to, you know, get her to make it look like it was realistic, her biting it off his penis, oh. you know what I mean? So he said what what he did, he said he put a belt, you know, underneath his shirt or whatever, so that when she zipped, she had a, like, literally, she was biting onto a belt. Mm. So she has something to, hold, you know, bite oh, onto. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's, you know, that way it made it look authentic. And he said, you know, later on, too, right after that. I thought know, you were going to say he had, like, a hot dog sticking out of his yeah, fucking... Had old glizzy for Lizzy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, and then he needed something to give her, you know, practically to make it look authentic so that, you know, the belt was in place. A little bit later on, when Sadie enters the scene with the mom, he said that the way they had to make it look like, because she, you know, she's a fucking criminal and a mom can't, mm -hmm. she's like, it's a, mom's not going to be taking over a criminal. He says, so what they made it do is like, yeah, the, there's a little booby trap. So the way she falls and being that they have a pool, they want to make it look like it's pitch black. So she ran into it, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things. He's like, y you have to think about those things practically. He's like, how do you want to make it look authentic to make it not feel like this is goofy? You yeah. Know, like, how is this mom getting the upper hand? It's like, well, she drops a knife. Now mm -hmm. she has, you know, there's a struggle. She runs off. She gets her throat slit, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they were talking about all the practice. That was all thing. pretty good. Right. Even uh, they were talking about pulling the intestines from Phyllis a little bit earlier in the mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. They said that uh, the way they pulled it off is they were using condoms and filling it with sand and basically food coloring. Mm -hmm. And um, he talked about the fact that when um, Junior finally blows his brains out, whatever, it's like they went to, I think, a butcher shop and got some pig's brains and just put it a little bit on the walls and stuff. He's like, you know, it's just things they weren't thinking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I was like, you know, it adds a little bit of authenticity to it, I suppose. Fucking mom getting his fucking dick out. Oh, poor little fella. <laughs> I know. I fucking laughed so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't remember the language they were using, too. I was like, damn, he's talking about coming like five or six times. Mm -hmm. It's like, you bitch, you about to make me bust. <laughs> like, I didn't remember that kind of language Busting back then. Busting makes me feel good. I know, damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but I call it Ghostbusters now. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> that whole, everything, though, with the mom is actually really good. Like, yeah. That was pulled off well for, for you not actually it seeing anything. Good. It gets the point across. Yeah, I mean, that shit is like, it's raw. I mean, <laughs> I had to turn my fucking TV down because I was like, this goddamn chainsaw is loud as fuck. Goddamn. Mm -hmm. But the point being is like, you know, it's, it shows what links. In this case, the parents were willing to go to avenge their daughter. So 
once again, they're turning into a version of themselves they normally wouldn't portray, but given the circumstances, they go to savagery or, you know, brutality, if you will, or violence in this case, you know. They're capable of doing very nasty things Mm -hmm. just as the fucking cops walk in on top of it. Which, whatever. Like, let's be real about this. I think there's enough evidence that, like, they're not doing any time. No. And I think this is also a small enough community they're probably never going to trial. There's no way. I mean, that shit would have been brushed underneath the rug so fast. Like, yeah. What? It's like, no. Here's here's what we're going to do. Here's here's how mm-hmm. we're going to paint this picture. <laughs> and they would. I mean, they. And that, but that's the thing. It's like that calls into question other things, like you know, morality and all that kind of other stuff. You know, it's like, right? Yes, they avenged, but they also committed some atrocities by doing it as well. It's pretty right. brutal. The reason I felt like I needed to bring it up, too, that, like, they're not doing any time, is I feel like the end of this movie, just the the way it's framed, is trying to say that, like, well, now they're the criminals. Because the yeah. cop got there in time to tell them, no, don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, like, oh, there was a, a distinction right there. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of, like... I, yeah, that's. I think that's. They ain't gonna. Happen. They gonna. Ha- ain't nothing gonna happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I, I still appreciate it for the fact. A, we've talked about this last week, is that it has a, a historical significance. It was a banned film in England and Australia. It made the video nasties. Mm-hmm. You know, An interesting thing, and I read this too. I think this is one of the things you can look at on the database where because it had to be cut so many times does it get it down to an R at a certain point, he just put everything back together. And as one of his friend Cravens, that is one of his friends happened to be on the board, mm. gave it an R then they put it out. But Cunningham and I think even minor talked about it and Craven talked about it, depending on where this was screened. Some people who worked in the projector booth would make their own cuts. So you would get, custom cut made ones. Mm -hmm. So there's no telling which version you would have seen depending on where you lived and what time period you saw this in. Whereas we have the advantage now where, you know, we can see uncut versions that aren't necessarily uncut. Right. But then, uh, you know, the release I have, it showed some of the deleted footage. It showed some of the extended footage we didn't get to see. Which, I mean, to me, it didn't really add anything. Isn't there at least one scene that was shot that's just lost? I think so. It showed that the stuff that I saw that was extended or whatever was more to do with like the torture and the sexualization of the girls, mm. like the more lesbianic acts with Sadie, those kind of things, you know. But it it doesn't really add anything other than just more depravity, I suppose, to what they're doing to the girl, like victimization. But you already kind of get that with the way the film. <laughs> plays out to begin with. So. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the biggest knock against this film is that that's the whole point of it. Right. Is like, these girls are going to get victimized. Kind of fucked up. Right. Of course. And, you know, and it's also in a way, an interesting way. I was thinking about this. It's in a, a proto slasher sense. It's not demonizing drugs, but it's like, it becomes a trope. It. I mean, yeah, it's this pure little innocent girl from the fucking, rural community goes into the city 
to try to buy drugs. Exactly. And go to a heavy metal show on top of it. Satan's music. (laughs) With her friend from the wrong side of the tracks. (laughs) So you're kind of setting up these, like, so these proto-tropes, I suppose. I don't know Mm -hmm. what else to call them, but it, it is a trope in a sense, you know. Even... This, yeah, this like archetypes this, <laughs> in a sense too, because I I know we'll get back to it again as we go through our reanimateds for yeah, Patreon, but, but like as we've pointed out, as we've talked about other movies, a lot of the first wave of slashers weren't really morality tales. No, no, they were just people being terrorized by unstoppable force. It's later on that the morality tale comes in. That's a good point, and. This movie has it, and I think as we've pointed out, Giallos weirdly have it. Yeah. Solid point. <laughs> I know, right? But they do. Not quite this as clean cut, since uh, Giallos are all sexy times anyway. But Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, they share a commonality. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go back and read a little bit about Virgin Spring and what how that was inspired by a Swedish ballad? I did, and then I'd made no notes about it and don't remember too much of what I've read, other than I can tell you mm-hmm. that I have seen most of Virgin Spring. Nice. I went to, God, I can't remember how many years ago it was now. When I first moved to town, one of the first concerts I went to while living in town, not one of my first concerts here in Missoula, because I grew up close enough that yeah, this is just where I would come. <laughs> Uh, was Murder by Death playing down at the other side. No, 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 no. They were playing at the Dark Horse. Okay. No, shit. I can't remember where the fuck they were playing. (laughs) But one of the things that they were doing on that tour was they had a projector set up and just had a loop. I don't even know if it was a loop because there was a lot of fucking footage of Ingmar Bergman films playing in the background. That's awesome. So I saw a shit ton of The Seventh Seal and a shit ton okay. of uh, Virgin Spring while Murder by Death played, and it gotcha. was fucking baller. And it was also when I was really early on being a more regular smoker, and I was high as fucking <laughs> balls. So. Yeah, so that probably added some more texture mm-hmm. to what was going on. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. No, I, I I found it interesting. Me, you know, because we talk about you know people and artists who are inspired by other artists and how they tend to show that in certain ways in their film. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of interesting because I have watched some Ingmar Bergman. I haven't watched The Virgin Spring, but I was reading about it's called Torres Dutrar Evanga, which is you know it's like uh, Torres Daughters and Venga. But the whole point of that story is that this guy and his wife, they have three daughters who wind up getting killed by these three guys who are kind of like wanderers in the countryside, whatever. And the oh, spring shit. Now that as up. soon as you start talking about it, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the yeah, spring yeah. sprout up. And then the father, of course, he wants to take revenge. He kills two of the boys. And the third one who flees and survives tells them that they, you know, were <laughs> basically uh, cast away by their father and mother, Tori and Karen. And they're like, oh, that's my sons and shit like that. So the, the guy like built a church or something like that to, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, memorialize his sons or pay tribute or to make atones for his wrongs and stuff. But the point of Virgin Spring in that story, and I'm not trying to give away the plot and all that shit, but it's similar. They, that one deals more with like, kind of like with this film, with rape 
and mm-hmm. revenge and morality and things of that nature, you know. And it being that it came out like nineteen what sixty sixty something like yeah, that. so it's very transgressive for that time period. And uh, yeah, so anyway, it, it's just neat to to see that there's inspiration. And we talked about this too, like some people from this time period were being inspired more from Europeans and shit like that too. So doesn't surprise me that Bergman's name gets dropped in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been an inspiration. Fuck, that was a good tour. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That was a good show. Yeah, fuck. As soon as you started saying it, I was like, oh, yeah, now I remember. It's all screwed up. It's fucking Immortal Technique with Dance with the Devil style. <laughs> Don't listen to that song unless you want to get depressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be warned. But, uh, no, man, I, I've enjoyed this. It, it, once again, makes me appreciate Wes Craven. It makes me appreciate films that came out at certain time periods and what they meant for the genre and what it meant for like cinema in general and how you can be transgressive and have a message behind it and not just shock people for shocking, you know, mm-hmm. value just, just for pure shock sake, you know? And like I said, it, uh, it really did shape not just his career and his trajectory, but like I said, the, the genre in general for things that came after. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we finally visited this one. It's been, <laughs> it's been a while, but you know, here we are. Shit. I agree. Fuck, we talked about what to do next week, and I can't remember what it was. Do you remember what it was? I, uh, I, I think we pitched around the idea for, like, I spit on your grave, but I don't know if it was this Ooh. and that, but I can't remember for Fuck sure. Fuck let's do it. I'm okay with that, yeah. All right, we're going to keep this up. We're going to go with I spit on your grave next week. Oh, dude, that's going to be wild. Yeah, that's going to be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Until then, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.